If you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of James. We will kind of be going through chronologically and reading a lot of the book of James, so be sure and stay tuned into the book because we will be going through there. The reason why we looked at siblings earlier is because James is the half-brother of Jesus. We see that James, at the point of writing um, the book of James, is a leader of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, in 62 AD, he is going to, Herod will have him put to death by the sword. We see that in Acts chapter 12. Uh, but the book of James is a book of practical instructions. And as we see these practical instructions, where a lot of people really like the book of James because they like a book where the faith works. We, they like a book that is straight to the point. Um, and a lot of people like it for that reason. Another thing that people do often is they will ignore, ignore the book of James because it's so difficult and straight to the point. So sometimes it's a good thing for some people, and other times people will avoid it entirely because of its straightforwardness. Uh, one thing about James, and I want to kind of mention this before we get started, before we get into the book, is that James did not uh, early in his life believe that his brother was who he said he was. Uh, he doubted that Jesus was who he said he was, and he even said that he was insane. We see in Mark 3, 21, you don't have to turn there, but um, he and his brothers, his family, thought that Jesus was out of his mind. They did not think that he was who he said he was. In John 7, 5, obviously it says his brothers did not believe him. And even in Mark there, it will go into uh, part of the story where... Um, Jesus, they come to get Jesus. He's creating, a, a crowd is gathering and he's making a scene and they go to get him and they say, hey, your family's here to get you. And Jesus makes even a point then that those are, that who are in his family are those who belong to the Father. So James is going to get into obedience and obedience, uh, putting faith into action. And uh, I can't say the word obedience without thinking about my son. Uh, and because he is learning how to obey, my four-year-old, uh, he's learning the hard way how to obey, right? Uh, and I say he's learning the hard way how to obey because uh, so many times I have to sit and explain to him, All right, this is what you did, this is why you're being punished, because, you know, he, he, when they make that sad face, it's just pitiful, and you just don't want to get on to him, right? But... You do it anyway, and you say, if you would just, and, and I've made the comment to Isaiah on many occasions, if you would just obey, if you would just do what is right. And it's amazing how many times the Holy Spirit will go, mm-hmm, and I'm like, yes, Lord, I heard that. Thank you very much for the slap in the face. But it's amazing how difficult obedience is. It's amazing how um, much when we talk about Obedience, and we talk about faith and action. Very popular to read, very easy to ignore. Very popular to read and hear a sermon about, and you're like, yes. But when it comes to putting it into action, when it comes to obeying, that's what, when it, when it gets hard. So, James, in the book of James, we're going to see that James is absolutely not interested in telling us what we want to hear. He doesn't care. He doesn't care what you want to hear. He's going to tell you how it is. And you have to deal with what he says. So let's look at the outline of the book of James. We have a greeting in 1-1. One, one. Uh, we see the testing of faith in 1 uh, there. We see the hearing and obeying of God's word. The sin of partiality. Uh, faith without works is dead. The sin of dissension in the community. The sin of the wealthy. The prayer of faith. And, of course, the conclusion. Um, so we're going to look at some truths tonight. But we're going to start with some myths. Because in the world that we live in, 
it's very easy for God's word and uh, the world's truth and God's truth. They, um, some people try to put those things together and that's not what it is. So there's some myths that our world tells us and we're going to look at three myths. So myth number one, trials are bad. Now, there is a lot of truth to that statement. There is a lot of truth to the statement that trials are bad. There are times when we have pain in our life. There are times when we suffer. Uh, maybe you've lost a loved one. Uh, and we have suffering. And we would do anything in our power to avoid that suffering a lot of the time. We would do anything for that pain to go away. But James is going to look at trials in a different way. Okay? Not saying that pain and suffering aren't going to be a part of life. Because they are going to be a part of life. But James says there's a different way to look at that. Trials, the, the world tells us that trials are bad. James is going to tell us. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. James tells us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Trials are reason for joy. And James is going to show us this. And here are four uh, ways that James will show us that trials are to be a joy to us. Number one, trials are a way to maturity. Trials are a way to maturity. Verses three and four. It says this. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, one of the things that uh, me and my wife uh, th- over the last four months is we've been trying very hard to get in shape, to lose weight. And one of the things that we do in that is that we lift weights. And lifting weights, I, I like to lift weights until uh, the next day. Does that make sense? Because the next day, what happens? You're in pain, right? You put your muscles to the test, you stress them out, and then the next day they're rebuilding themselves, and that causes pain. And honestly, when that happens, you want to go, okay, I don't want to work out tomorrow because if it's going to cause that much pain. But it gets better over time, right? Uh, We learn from that. It produces, uh, it completes our muscles. It makes them stronger. And that's the same thing that, that James is talking about here. You know, another uh, way to explain this is um, when two people who are not alike get married. Okay, another analogy of me and my wife. We are without a doubt two of the most opposite people you will ever meet. Okay, I'm loud, she's not. Okay, I'm somewhat uh, insane, crazy, but she's not, right? And she's very quiet, she's very organized, I'm not. Okay, I'm messy, she's not as messy. Uh-huh. You're welcome, honey. Uh, but it's amazing how, uh, and it, it was kind of funny. This is just a little personal testimony for you. But uh, when we were dating at one time, I actually stopped talking to her for a little while. Idiot. But um, I stopped talking to her because uh, I was like, eh, we don't really have that much in common. And shouldn't you have something in common with someone that you're going to marry? And uh, was at dinner with some friends one night, and I told them, and they were like, hey, you're going to date Catherine? What's the deal? Uh, I don't know. We don't have very much in common. She doesn't even listen to music. She doesn't even know who Michael Jackson is or anything like that. And it's like, really? That's going to be the basis for why you don't? Anyway, so they spoke wisdom into my life. I uh, asked if she would give me a second chance. She did. And it's amazing how God has grown us through that process. It's amazing how God has grown me. It's amazing how God has grown her. But through that process, we have grown uh, to a place to where it makes us better. And that's the same thing that James is talking about here with trials. Because I got news for you. The first year of our marriage, it was a trial. Things that she doesn't like that I did. Things that I like that she didn't. I want my clothes right there in my closet floor. Just leave them there. But it made us better. Okay, and that's what trials, James is saying that trials do in our life. Okay, and it makes us stronger. It will grow us to maturity. And, and James tells us, consider them joy. So first thing is it takes us, uh, 
it's, it's a way to maturity. The second thing is trials cause us to depend on God. Trials cause us to depend on God. Look at verse 5 and 6 in chapter 1. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. You know, if we try to do everything on our own strength, we will never learn to rely on God. We'll never learn to rely on God the way that he, he asks us to. You know, uh, this r- reminded me of a few stories where we see Moses and he's led the people of Israel to the Red Sea and they're about to cross over and they really don't know what to do. They have mountains on both sides. They have Pharaoh and his army at their back. They have the Red Sea at their front. And Moses' comment to him is, what option do I have but to trust you? What option do I have but to trust you? And then Jesus. There was a time in John chapter 6 where he is teaching to a multitude of people. And he says some very uh, hard things that causes most of the people to leave. And he will turn to his disciples. And he goes, are you going to leave too? Are you going to leave? And in which they reply, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words to eternal life. In other words, they were saying, we have no other option but to trust you. We have no other option. So, a way to maturity causes us to depend on God. Thirdly, it says we consider them joy because trials will pass. Trials will pass. Verses 9 through 12. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. The flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So all will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You know, God's ways of measuring um, are not like our ways of measuring. And when, you know, in this life, uh, we are going to face trials. And the two things that, that, the worst two things that can happen, first of all, we need to understand that those trials will pass. They will stop. And the only other option besides them going away is our life to be taken from us. And as we've seen, as we look forward, and we're going to talk about this here in a minute, as we look forward to what our home is, this is not our home, but uh, heaven is our home. The best thing that could ever happen to us is that we be taken from this earth, right? So it doesn't matter if it's in this life or in the next. It will pass. It will pass. So maturity Uh, Those things, uh, we depend on God. They will pass. We know that those trials will pass. Uh, So lastly, trials are good for God's good purpose. They are for God's good purpose. You know, this one uh, is probably the hardest to understand when we're in the middle of a trial. When we're in the middle of chaos. When we're in the middle of suffering. When we're in the middle of pain. We look at that situation and we think, how could this be for God's good? How in the world could this be for God? Let's look at these verses. Verse 13 through 15, chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. uh, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Temptation is not from God. Uh, you know, 
temptation, uh, when we are tempted and lured, it's by our own selfish desires, by our own evil desires. Uh, trials can come from God. Okay, Trials can. But yielding to these trials and yielding to God during these trials brings us to maturity. It helps mature us. It helps make us better. So embrace your trials. Consider them joy. Uh, but that's always easier said than done, right? Always easier said than done. You know, we cannot take direction from our emotions. One of the things that we can't let happen when we're in the middle of a trial is let our emotions get in the way. Because sometimes they do. We, we just get bogged down with the emotions of what's going on. And, but we can't let uh, those let that happen. I want to read something from you. We're, uh, our staff is going through this book. It's called Side by Side. And I have a quote from it later on in, in a moment. But I want to read something from you from this book. Because I think it's really good. It's a story about when hard circumstances meet busy hearts. And uh, I want you to listen to this. It says, A 54-year-old father of four had a long history of walking with Jesus. One of his routines was to read a psalm every day. And Psalm 22 was one of his favorites. Since he had done this for decades, he certainly was accustomed to speaking honestly to the Lord in all circumstances. And he too could condense his reactions into a few words. During a routine exam, his physician noticed a highly irregular lesion on his shoulder, which he biopsied and sent to the pathology lab for testing. The results were back, uh, would be back in about 10 days. The physician was clearly concerned and suggested, suggested that his patient return to the office to discuss the results and consider whatever further treatments might be helpful. Ten days later, he made the visit. Accompanied by his wife, the doctor got right to the point. I have bad news. The lesion is cancerous. What does that mean? Uh, what is the treatment and prognos uh, prognosis? It is a malignant melanoma, one of the most aggressive cancers. At this point, the only treatment we have is experimental, and they haven't shown much promise. And the prog uh, prognosis, I'm very sorry, life expectancy is usually between 9 to 12 months. He thanked the physician for being helpful, clear, and forthright. They arranged the follow-up appointment to talk about experimental treatments. He and his wife left the office and cried together. The most powerful part of this story is what I'm about to read. But if you put yourself in, that sh in those shoes, what does your faith look like? The next words he says to his wife, he hugs his wife as they're crying together. And his first words to her are, nothing has changed. And it's true. Because if you are grounded uh, in the Lord, if you're grounded the way um, we're supposed to be, if we're looking at trials the way we're supposed to be, nothing ever changes. God is still good. God is still in control, even amidst the bad times in our life. Uh, so myth number one uh, tells us that trials are bad. No, it's not true. So myth number two. Faith is what I think. Faith is what I think. Just want to remind everybody of myth. Myth number two, okay? Faith is what I think. Let's look at James 1, 22, starting in 22. It says, Receive with meekness and, uh, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. You know, it's very easy to deceive ourselves, uh, to hear a sermon, to hear, uh, to read a good Christian book and think that just because we understand it, that that understanding that sermon or understanding that book makes us closer to God. That could be, that is as far from the truth uh, as anything. Just understanding it is not enough. Yes, is it good to understand it? Absolutely. But it's what we do with that understanding that uh, is, proves to be either good or bad. Because understanding is good. Understanding and not translating into how, uh, into how to live our lives is dangerous. 
I feel, I fear that a lot of Christians today, especially people in churches, have a toxic buildup of religious knowledge that is not lived out. Let me read that again. This, was, this one kind of spoke to me this week. I fear that many religious people in church have a toxic buildup of religious knowledge that is not lived out. To hear and to not do is a very scary place to be. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. So what, is, what he's saying here is, okay, now you've heard it. You understand it. Now go do it. I want you to love me, and I want you to love others in that order. Let's, re- let's continue reading in chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 14. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Uh, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to, uh, do you want to be shown, uh, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he called and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Faith that is not acted out is not faith at all. We see this in three examples in this verse. We see this by number one, demons. The demons believe and they shudder. You see many times throughout the gospels, that where Jesus would encounter demons and they knew exactly who he was and they knew exactly what he had come to do and they were afraid. They shudder. He said they shudder. They believe in God and it makes them shudder. The belief of the demons in verse 19 does not lead to their repentance and does does not lead to action. Does not lead to it. Second person, Abraham. His faith and his actions work together. We see that Abraham, uh, one of the fathers of our faith, uh, says was active along with his works and his faith was completed by his works. One of the things that makes Abraham stand out is that, uh, of course, with the sacrifice, uh, when God asked him to sacrifice his son, And I know we've all, if you're a father in here, you've put yourself in those shoes. I don't know that I could do it. I don't know that I could have that kind of faith. Abraham did. And not only did he believe what God told him, he put it into action. Last person here we see is Rahab. Okay? Rahab. And it showed her faith by what she did. Not just by what she knew or by what she said. You know, she did not, uh, her faith carried her, and we know Rahab, the story of Rahab, um, that God chose to use Rahab through the lineage in which Jesus would come. So he chose to use her. Her faith and her action uh, made her a very pivotal part of the story. Um, in uh, the 40s, right after the Great Depression, 
sometime around that time, uh, cities began to build uh, massive skyscrapers. And one of the first cities to build uh, specific skyscrapers where uh, the buildings were a solid piece of glass. Obviously, they weren't a solid piece of glass, but the floor from ceiling to floor on the outside looking out was glass. Okay? There was no trim where it fit into the, to the uh, wall. It was just a solid piece of glass. And there's a specific situation where uh, this company, um, I didn't look up the name, but uh, were, as they were building these buildings and putting people in offices in these buildings, uh, people were afraid to work in those offices and productivity went down because they were too afraid to sit by the glass. They were too afraid that something might happen. If I scoot my chair back too fast, it would hit the glass, it would break, I would fall out, and I would fall to my death. It would be crazy. So uh, they actually had to bring the structural engineer into the room with all of these people, brought them all in, and he gave all the details of what type of glass they used and how thick it was and how much weight it could hold and then the brackets that were holding it to the building and how much weight it could hold. And he goes through all of these details and these people were still like, doesn't matter, I'm still afraid. So here's what he did. He had to uh, put his faith into action. He takes his hard hat off, right? And he scoots everybody back and he takes off at a dead sprint straight towards the glass uh, on the outside of the building and he just lunges at it and hits the wall and falls to the ground. He's like, see, you're safe, right? And they're like, okay, we're good. As hard as he could, he just tried to knock that glass off. Um, It's kind of funny, as I was looking at that story, there's actually another story where another guy tried that and it actually popped the window out and he fell and it was bad stuff, so. um. (laughs) But in this case, he was okay. He put his faith into action just to show them it's okay. Because here's the deal. There's a big difference. Abraham, in verse 23, it says, Abraham believed. Okay, And that word believed is not just believed it in my brain. It's believed it in my heart. I trust it. I completely and totally trust it. And it's a deep abiding trust. Look at John 3.16 as an example. We all know John 3.16. In the ESV, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So, boom. I believe Jesus is the son of God. Okay? So because of that belief, I'm in. That's what the verse says. Believe. That's what it says. If you look at the Amplified Bible, it captures it a little bit differently. This is kind of cool. It says, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten son that whoever believes in. And in parentheses it says, trust or clings to or relies upon him shall not perish or come to destruction or be lost but have eternal life. See the difference? One, the word believe means with your mind. I believe that the world is round, obviously. Okay, But... This type of belief that it's talking about when Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness is being lived out through the word of God. Is being lived out. It changes not only his mindset, but it changes his actions. It puts his beliefs into action. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It's accompanied with our actions. So, myth number three. Religion is a private matter. Religion is a private matter. This may be, uh, you may believe this tonight. You may be in here and you think that I believe that religion is a private matter. My relationship with me and God is very private. I like it that way. Um, but most people who think that their religion is private means that they do not want to talk about it. It means they don't want to do anything about it. For them, religion has become a tool for self-centeredness, and it's also often a control of their own destinies. They want to be in control of their own destinies. 
Our religion becomes the same as ambitions. Our religion becomes the same as fantasies or even fears. And if James is telling us earlier that our faith must be acted out, uh, then the saving faith cannot be private. Yes, it can be personal, but it can't be private. Does that make sense? It has to be personal. Your, your faith needs to be personal. Your relationship with God needs to be very personal. But it absolutely cannot be private. So trials are bad. Hearing the word of God means obeying it. And it is a public matter. It's about life together. Again, here's this book that we were talking about. Side by Side by Edward Welch. Okay, Walking together uh, is wisdom and love. Walking together in wisdom and love. Um, And this book is exactly about that. It's about walking together with people in the good times and the bad. It's about people uh, that you need. It's about people that need you. And uh, it's a great reminder to us that we live around a world where people are going through all sorts of circumstances. And you know what the, the thing is? If you're not going through a trial right now, there are people around you that are. And you need to be there for them. Because here's the deal. When you're going through a trial, you need them to be there for you. And that's what it means to be. And, and honestly, side by side, the, the title of this book could be called The Church. Because that's how we're supposed to live life. Side by side. With one another. Not private and on our own. But uh, lived life together. Um, as you go through James, uh, you will see examples of division. Um, They're talking about being boastful about the future. Uh, Wait a minute. Let me go back. I'm sorry. Let's look at this quote. It says, along the way, we will find that God is pleased to use ordinary people, ordinary conversations, and extraordinary and wise love to do most of the heavy lifting in his kingdom. He's going to use people like me and you to do his will in this world. And he wants to use people like me and you to do those things. Okay, now James is going to get into some division. Uh, The people that he's writing to, the people of Jerusalem, they're boastful about their future. They're quick to be angry. They're cursing at one another. They're quick to use harmful words. They're slandering one another. They're grumbling against each other. They're showing favoritism to the rich. They're oppressing the poor. And behind this division, James is going to point to false teaching, careless teaching. So, Uh, Look at, if you have your Bible, open up to chapter 3, James 3. In verse 1 it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You know, anyone who's ever taught a Sunday school class, I hope, feels the weight of that verse. Anyone who ever preaches, I hope, feels the weight of that verse. That... Because here's the deal, when all those things I just talked about, when you have bad teachers, when you have lazy teachers, those types of problems arise. Look in verse 13. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. James will give advice as far, uh, it's even as far as our tongues are concerned and what comes out of our mouth. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 5, it says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You know, the great fire of Chicago of 1871 killed about two to 300 people. Uh, it destroyed over 17,000 buildings. Uh, here is an artist rendition of what it looked like. Um, store, destroyed over 17,000 buildings. Left over 100,000 people homeless. Over 100,000 people homeless. In today's estimation, they said it would cost uh, around... Uh, with... Uh, in their time, to build it in their time with their cost, it would cost around 3 to $4 billion to, to, to 
redo the damage that occurred in the Great Fire of Chicago. And it all started by, anybody know? A cow kicking over a lantern, supposedly. That's what they say. A cow kicked over a lantern and it caused all of that damage. Caused all of what happened. How we use our speech is important. Because it says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Uh, You know, Lisa back here taught in youth ministry many years with me. And one of the things she would always tell teenagers, and teenagers need to be reminded of this often, is garbage in, garbage out, right? If you hear it, you're going to speak it. And words hurt. And if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything else at all, right? We all all heard that. It's true. Our our tongues can get us in so much trouble. Our speech. And uh, James is addressing that here. And he says how much damage it can cause. And that is why speech is so important. Wise speech is from God and brings unity. So what can be done about this division within the church? What can be done about all of this bad things that are happening in the church? Uh, James gives us four examples. First of all, he identifies the problem. He identifies the problem what's going on, the divisions in the church. Um, the first thing he identifies is selfishness. And this is the same sort of selfishness that pre- pretends that religion is a private thing. It's a private affair. James 3.16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Selfishness is a huge problem within the church or even within you personally. Um, and this type of selfishness doesn't end. Check out the next chapter, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is, this, uh, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You're, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So... So selfishness is a huge problem. And behind that selfishness, behind the selfishness comes the second thing, pride. Pride. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's 4.6. So after identifying the problem, James gives us a command. He gives us a very straight command, and that is, number two, to submit to God. First, we identify the problem of what's going on. Secondly, we have to submit to God. We have to make sure that we are submitting to God. Before God, the way up is down. You know, one of our classmates graduated, and our, the pastor's daughter, the pastor of the church that I went to, his daughter was in my class, and her senior quote, we all got to put a senior quote under our, our uh, picture. And hers was, it's hard to lose your footing on your knees. And you know, uh, I wasn't a Christian when I saw that. Uh, or I wasn't a very, uh, I wasn't, um, a de- I'd only been a Christian about a year. So I, was, I didn't know what it meant then. I was like, eh, that's kind of weird, okay. I thought it meant because she had had a knee injury in basketball. And uh, I thought, oh, maybe that's what it meant. And then later, when I grew in my faith, I was like, oh, I get it. It's hard to lose your gadget. Okay. And it's true. It is hard to lose your footing on your knees. It's hard to lose your footing on your knees. Uh, seven, uh, chapter 4, 7 through 10 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turning, turned to mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You know, one of the things that we have to do as Christ followers is we have to realize that this life that we are living is not our own. If you've given your life to Jesus, he has bought 
and paid for you at a great price. And this life that you're living, these jobs that you go to, it's all for his glory and for his kingdom purpose, not for your own. And the minute that we start living that way, I think our life radically looks different. Okay, it's not about me. It's about others. It's about bringing honor and glory to God. And it's about loving and pouring into other people. And that's where uh, that joy comes from. Uh, and James readers didn't realize that. So submitting. Uh, look in verse 13. It says, Come now, ye, uh, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James is reminding us and reminding, reminding us that us, as well as everything that we have, belongs to him. James is remind, belongs to God. Not belongs to James, but uh, belongs to God. Uh, our lives are not our own. Our property is not our own. What we do should bring honor and glory to God. So identifying the problem, submitting to God. Number three, warn that judgment is coming. Warn that judgment is coming. Let's get into chapter five. This is a broad overview. It's hard to, you know, James is not that long of a book, but it has so much stuff in it that it's hard to talk about everything. It says, come now, you rich. It's starting in verse one. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and, will you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So one of the things that uh, we have to do, and, and this is a huge reminder that uh, it's not good for the people at the end times. And we talked about this a, a few weeks ago. Landon talked about this as we wrapped up Luke. But someday the end is going to happen. And when that happens, it's all over. There's no more chances. And it's our job, uh, as we submit to God, it's also our job to warn people of that. It's our, it's our job to tell people about that. We will have to give an account for how we live our lives. Someday, you've given your life to Jesus. We know that I get to go to heaven. It's all good. But someday, you will have to stand before the Father, and you will have to give an account for everything that you've done, every word that you've spoke, every thought that you've thunked. Right? You will have to do all of those things. You will have to give, and I know thunked isn't a word. I just had to throw that out there. But we have to give an account for the way that we lived our lives, for the things that we did. Uh, and, and as we've talked about, biblical faith is forward-looking. This is not our home. Uh, and we have to keep our eyes focused on heaven as we live our lives here today. Because it will change how we live our lives. It will change what we spend our money on. It will change how we have conversations with people. It will help us to love deeper. It will help us to have mercy and kindness to others in a way that wouldn't if our minds were not focused on heavenly things. So as we think about those things, James is warning us to uh, live our lives in a manner that is worthy to the calling in which we are here. So... 5.8, the, Lord, uh, the Lord's coming is near, is what it says. And, and of course, like Landon said, when that happens, when that day comes, your chance to repent is over. So make the most of every opportunity that Jesus gives you today. Uh, let's look at number four. Love, peace. It's a popular thing. We like peace. Everybody wants peace, right? We want peace in our world. We want peace. 
Let's flip back to chapter 3. Unless I'm wrong. If this is in chapter 5, I'm sorry. But I have 317 in here. So let's look. It says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So... You do this by in James chapter 5. If you look in James chapter 5, we're not going to read these, but uh, treating each other with tender concern, by praying for the sick, by confessing sins to one another, by valuing the prayers of the righteous, by bringing back those who wonder. James knows that so much of our relationship with God will be shown in our relationship with other people. Let me say that again. James wants us to know that how you treat other people, how you relate to other people, how you communicate with others, how you love others, how you show mercy, how you forgive, is all a, an express, is all a uh, overflowing of your relationship with the Lord. It's all overflowing from your relationship with the Lord. So I want you to think about how you treat other people. I want you to think about how you treat complete strangers. Okay? Is it the attitude that Christ would want you to have? And that's what James is pointing us to. Faith and action. As a Christian, our primary obligation in this life is not to yourself. It's not to you. You know, in VBS, back in the day, we all know that VBS is fun. And we've all been to VBS. Right? Um, Vacation Bible school, I was taught this. And it's always stuck with me. And I've always taught this. But uh, if you want to talk about how to have joy. Right? We all know where you're going with this, right? But how do you have joy? Right? You put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And that's an easy way to remember. If you want to have joy, you put Jesus first, others second, yourself last. So understanding that trials are not bad. Understanding that trials are meant for our good. Uh, How to live out our life in faith how to seek peace with God and peace with others and to warn people that the end is coming. You know, James, when we think about James, uh, Jesus' brother, uh, it took him a while for him to understand who Jesus really was. It took him a while to get it. It took him a while to understand uh, how he needed to live his life. You know, one of the things about James that you understand, and you can see it throughout the book of James, is that he quotes a ton from the Old Testament. He was very deep in the Torah, and he uh, quotes a lot from, obviously he's throwing Moses in there, he's throwing Abraham, and he's throwing Rahab in there. He knew those stories, and he knew about the Messiah that was to come. And little did he know that it was his brother. And he didn't believe it at first, but he came around. And some of you in here today, I I just want to encourage you. If you have heard this tonight and you're saying faith in action, you know, I'm terrible at that. I do listen to sermons. I'm like, man, that's so awesome. But I don't really do anything with it. Let me just encourage you. It's okay. Okay? Because the great thing about our God is he's a God that loves us and cares for us no matter what. But he does want our faith to reflect into action. He wants it to go further into action. So uh, that's the book of James. And I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to have a time of prayer. Uh, and here, I want to ask for a specific prayer request tonight. And of course you are more than welcome to pray for um, other things. But... I'm taking a seminary class right now, and one of the students uh, that I'm a classmate with, uh, he is on staff in a church in Louisiana. His name is Matthew, and uh, they had a a staff member this week, their custodian, that he was very close friends with, and uh, he, uh, they don't know what happened, but they found him, uh, and he was dead. He, He didn't come to work for two days, they couldn't get a hold of him, and they finally went, and broke into his apartment, and they found him dead. They think that he maybe had a heart attack. But he was very close friends with him. I know this has been very hard on him. So uh, we're going to pray for Matthew. We're going to pray for his friend's family. I didn't, I didn't get a name. I didn't ask. Uh, 
But I want to pray for him tonight specifically. Um, And of course, uh, I know we have many in our church who are uh, unemployed or their hours are being cut drastically. And we just need to lift that up in prayer because I know that that can bring trials and stresses in in life. And uh, I just want us to be mindful of our family that uh, are going through trials right now. And we just need to be remembered to lift them up in our prayers uh, and those things. So let's take about five minutes and we're going to pray for that. And then maybe Tony will come up and do another song. All right, let's pray. For the book of James and how it reminds us that our faith without works is dead. And that the faith that you've given us, Lord, uh, is to be lived out in such a way that it uh, shines to be a brightening example to the world around us. It's an example of your love and your kindness to the world that you displayed for us on the cross. Father, I pray that we uh, not be selfish with our faith. Where we would uh, take every opportunity that you place in our path. Father, I pray that we would be mindful to, to look at the world around us. To be able to stop and just look and see where you're at work. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to join in with that work. Father, with those in our, family, uh, in our church family who are dealing with illnesses. Who are dealing with stresses. That are going through trials. Father, I pray that you would help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. To remember them in our prayers. To remember them as we have conversations. To remember them with phone calls. To remember them with visits. Maybe even remember them with gifts. Father, for Matthew, I specifically lift up him and his church to you. Lift up their family of the one that was lost. Father, we ask that you bring them comfort. We thank you that he knew you. That he had a relationship with you. And... uh, Father, that he's walking with you today. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to put our faith into action for your glory, for your kingdom's purpose. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray all these things. Amen.